Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to the third Retro RGB Writers Podcast, and uh, today we have a, a pretty full full group of people here that I'm very happy to introduce to everybody. Um, it's going to be kind of a fun, laid-back one, but I, I guess I would like to just start us off introducing ourselves. I'm obviously Bob, the, the founder of Retro RGB, and uh, pass along to Vanessa, and we'll just pass the, pass the baton to everybody involved. Uh, hello. Uh, yes, my name is Vanessa. I'm also known as Vanessera, uh, and I help write articles and, and support everyone here at RetroRGB.com, uh, primarily focusing uh, on such things as retro computers, uh, among, among other things, uh, but primarily retro computers, uh, CRTs, um, anything that I can do to, to help support um, the overall uh, site for RetroRGB. Ronnie, want to go next? Picking them randomly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So my name is Ronnie. I've been a writer for uh, Retro RGB since October 2018. And um, I'm, a, I'm a professional musician. At least I, I used to be before everything went to hell. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I mostly write uh, news articles uh, about new products, uh, new firmware updates. And uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome, Ray. Oh, you broke up, Daddy. Hey, you, Ray. <laughs> On to you. <laughs> All right. So I'm Ray Command. Uh, I occasionally write articles for Retro RGB. Been doing so for a couple of years. Uh, most of my articles are based around retro gaming and um, at a homebrew console stuff. Other than that, I I'm a more general techie. You know, everything from cell phones to operating systems to, again, homebrew. And I love working with you guys. Thanks, man. Danielle, the Girl Geek, you want to go next? Sure. I'm Danielle, also known as the Girl Geek Online. Uh, I write occasionally for the site, but mostly about very obscure things. Um, In my free time, I fix stuff. And my day job is actually to uh, design, uh, engineer servers. So nice, Dan. You technically were have been a contributor to the site for a lot longer than you actually had a uh, an account. But would you like to give your intro as well. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm I'm Dan. Uh, if you follow me online anyway, you probably know me as Elvis. Um, yeah, I've been chatting with Bob on and off for a couple of years now, I guess. Just mm-hmm. we talk turkey through email and, and I think initially YouTube comments. I put a few things in there. But yeah, writing for the site since December, I think, maybe earlier. Don't know. But yeah, I like to concentrate mostly on either the 
the hardware side of things or uh, digital preservation, which is my real passion. That's what I do sort of as a, as a side thing when I'm not working on, uh, you know, my media stuff. I work in the VFX industry. I work for supercomputer companies, things like that, doing sort of big scale uh, compute stuff. So it's nice to, to come home and do very small scale compute stuff. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Alex, you're up next. This is actually uh, the first time officially meeting Alex, too. It's, it was the same thing um, the first time Ronnie joined the, the Writers Podcast. So it's, it's kind of funny that these things introduce all of you as well as each other to uh, us to each other. But uh, you're up, Alex. I mean, it's a pleasure to meet everybody. Uh, my name's Alex Mitchell, going by Alex Mitchell on the website, obviously. Uh, I'm a freelance film technician uh, through IATSE 669 and 212. So I, I work on uh, union production from prestige television series down to small independent productions. Um, I'm a retro game enthusiast, and I've just been contributing to the website for the last, uh, geez, I want to say nine months, but it could be longer than that. And uh, yeah, I just have a, a passion for the entire medium, and I'll just cover whatever kind of strikes my fancy. Like for instance, reviewing controllers. I have a I have a couple of those in the queue, but reviews are are hard. I try to be as positive as possible, so sometimes it slows me down a bit. Totally understandable. And uh, our newest member, Chris. Hi, uh, I'm Chris, on, known online as Chris Frotz, and my main job here is to make all of you people feel old. So mission accomplished. <laughs> and but in all seriousness, um, I uh, I personally love emulation a lot, even though I. I enjoy the hardware. Emulation and re-releases is great, and I love it. And I actually, I, I think I remember that my first post was technically a guest submission that I sent back in October with, like, a Word document for the Sonic Hacking Contest. And while I didn't accept your offer for the account to write for the site then, I'm glad that you still had that open a few months later. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is something that anybody that just <laughs> enjoys this stuff could feel free to contribute any way they want. I mean, this really... This site is supposed to be about everybody. That's why I always try really hard to make it a point to uh, to always be Bob from Retro RGB and never introduce myself that way because it's always been about more people, which is always funny too because even some of the trolls get that right, which is always really appreciative because it's always like, all right, you're entitled to your opinion, but thanks for getting it right at least. <laughs> you know, you know, you've done it. You know, you're doing the right. You're saying it correctly when the trolls don't call you Retro RGB. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, this is just going to be an open freeform hangout just for, for everybody to get to know each other, you know, us and you. Uh, but I guess a good suggestion was to start out with what games we've all been playing lately. And mine's an easy one because I, I unfortunately don't have the time that I wish I did to play. So I've been forcing myself to by doing these really amazing live streams. Amazing for me. I'm not sure if I would call them amazing to watch, but... Uh, the this last games, I, the last games I played were uh, my friend Audie Sorley uh, dragged me through some of the worst 3DO games, all with a deadpan <laughs> look on his face, making me wonder if the game I was about to play was actually good or if he was just going to so torture terrible. me. Yeah, I should so like it. I should link you a review of Quarantine that I saw one time that was pretty positive about the game, but then slowly started going downhill as he go went through the story. I think I'm okay with the 3DO for a little <laughs> while longer, but. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, anybody just want to talk about what game they've been playing lately, and you know anything anything fun about that? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, go on. 
Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been uh, putting the Retro Fighters Wireless Brawler 64 through its paces right now. And so one game that I had never really finished off completely was uh, GoldenEye 007 for the N64. And, uh, you know, I just recently did the whole game, 00 Agent, and been going through and getting all of the uh, the cheat codes. And yeah, exactly, Chris. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing game. I, I think it still holds up as long as you can get past its idiosyncrasies. Uh, and then the Wireless Brawler 64 has actually been an incredible way to experience it because i feel like i'm not the only person here that hates the n64 controller i know hopefully that's not gonna get anybody in any hot water here. i i agree with that sentiment about the control and also i have one thing to say uh, well i don't know there's something about the simplicity anyway sorry i don't want to hog all the time no that's cool um, and I, I believe there was just that um documentary about that that wrestling with gaming posted that was pretty amazing so yeah it i is recommend really checking out that controller and the documentary if you're going to play the game and his whole channel, really. Yep. Well, Chris, I guess you're up next. You're already in it. <laughs> um. Well, uh, recently I have been doing a lot of concerts, so I haven't had much time for games. But one of the biggest gaming things that just that I played recently that stuck in my mind is actually this game, which, but not this version. I played Mist, but not this version. Which, yeah, I had I recently got a VR headset, so I decided to buy the Oculus Quest version of Mist. And playing that the game of VR is friggin' amazing. It's like one thing I love is when you solve the puzzles, it it makes me feel smart. <laughs> and it's like a great version of the game. Uh, if you have a PC VR headset, it'll come to PC soon, and it'll have a 2D mode. So yeah, everybody can play the remake, the new remake coming out. Awesome. Who's up next? Are we sh- should we go in alphabetical order, like the window has us? Is that how is that how is it's it? setting up? That's pretty funny. I think at least for me, it, it, it comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Well, that's that's me, I guess. I've got um, four on the go at the moment because I can't ever commit to one thing because that's how I go. But um, so retro wise, I've got um, I've never played. This is my shame. I've never played a Final Fantasy game, so I decided to fix that. I'm starting with Final Fantasy One on Game Boy Advance. Uh, getting through that yeah it's kind of interesting um like i played final fantasy 5 and 6 for about a couple of hours each as part of like a let's play thing for a forum and really enjoyed those so going back to one don't know if i'll do two and three but anyway that's kind of fun uh playing uh another retro shame this is what i'm trying to do i'm just trying to recapture my childhood and like you know catch up with everything that i missed so monkey island on pc never ever played that um, I played uh, Sam and Max way back when. I uh, really enjoyed that one. So going back, playing Monkey Island at the moment, playing that actually on a, believe it or not, a Raspberry Pi through Scum VM on a CRT, which is heaps of fun. Uh, and then playing two indie games at the moment, playing a Little Nightmares on PS4, which is really cool. I really love the aesthetic. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's got the, uh, got the MIDI. I would, yeah, I, I can only emulate it. I'd love to get an SC55 and just put that to my modern PC. Mm, so good yeah little nightmares on ps4 which is really cool uh i love the aesthetic i love the creepiness of it it's it's pretty sad too which is like i like that kind of emotional gaming um and then another kind of emotional one is a game called um fatum batula i think is how you pronounce it so it's like a playstation one aesthetic four is to three presented game written by this 20 year old dude's really cool really loving it so that's kind of my four on the go at the moment Mm-hmm. Awesome. How are you running? Yeah, it's um 
what I'm playing now is not necessarily retro. I've been revisiting the Xbox 360 a bit. I'm playing um, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Okay. Um, mm. That's that's a super awesome game so far. I, ca- I can't believe I, I skipped that like 10 years ago, I guess. And um, I've actually been revisiting the PS2 library for a while. Um, I tried Devil May Cry. I never played the series ever. And when I came back to visit, uh, uh, to revisit the PS2, I noticed there's a there's a new version of OPL. It's been five years since we got the the last version, and I'm writing about that now. Um, so yeah, look up for that for uh, in the next few days. Awesome, Ronnie. A uh, quick question with your PS2 library. Mm-hmm. Um, are you running predominantly PAL or NTSC in that region? Um, I have a I have a PAL uh, PS2, but I'm running NTSC games. Mm. Yeah, I did the same. You know what's funny is is isn't is the 360 considered uh, retro these days? Some people I've, say I've... yes, some people say no. Oh, I mean that's oh that's we were kind of that's getting into the writers' uh, Discord. Uh, yeah. I feel like that would be a good topic to discuss once we got the whole uh, once yeah. we got everyone's recent plates. But yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, you know what? I think uh, I think that's the next topic. Let's uh, let's go through and, and uh, talk about these games a little bit more, and then go back to that. Awesome. So I've been I've been kind of flipping back and forth uh, between the Saturn and the Neo Geo because I I have a Fenrir, and there's been all these translation hacks coming out for the Saturn. And then for the Neo Geo, I just got the Neo Geo SD loader from Furtech, which is amazing. That just brings that system right back to life. So I've been going back and forth between Saturn RPGs, Grandia, Lunar, I just finished recently, and KOF on the Neo Geo. And of course, some of the shooters like Polestar, which I keep getting destroyed, but hey, what can you do? You just keep playing until you eventually beat it. Ray, are you using the, uh, is it like the MPEG card version of Lunar, or what are you, what are you playing for Lunar? I'm just a standard version. Um, they are working on the MPEG version as well. They're pretty much uh, in parity right now, but they improved uh, FMB on the original enough so that you don't really need to stress the MPEG version if you don't have it. You don't have to but spend a ton of like, money. They re-encoded the, the videos? Yes. Wow. From scratch. Jesus. So, what they, so what they did was Trekkie Unites, uh, Trekkie Unites 118 with the guy who's primarily working on the project he grabbed the video from the PSP, which is a lot cleaner, and he re-encoded it and inserted it into the Saturn version. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty wow, nice. That's and, an and it's actually project. higher. Holy crow! It's awesome, and he's actually higher res in the PS1 version now. And uh, one thing about Grandy is I need to play play through that again because I got the HD remaster for PC, but there's a way you can actually get the. Uh, unfiltered sprites and textures back by just ripping out the files for the filtered graphics and it works pretty well but i get weird flickering artifacts on certain surfaces and then there so yeah unfortunately that's only for the pc version right there's no you can't do it for the switch or anything else that it may be available for i'm sure if you had a i'm sure if you had your switch homebrewed with a file browser you could probably do it but only the pc version as far as i know Still not perfect though because it has graphical artifacts and it's also the PS1 version if you care about that. Well, I forgot. I you know I played the mysteriously missing for many years Paprium. 
Oh. <laughs> and I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Please. <laughs> On that note, Danielle, you're up. <laughs> so uh, I've been playing. I I bought some controllers, some specialized controllers for Groove Coaster and for Sound Voltex. If anyone's into rhythm games, um, so I've been playing unnamed Sound Voltex clone and Groove Coaster on the Switch with like a giant controller that's exactly like the arcade. Uh, for non rhythm games, I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, which later on when all my friends see this, they'll be like, Yep, yes, she has, because we get together and I play with my friends and one of my friends' kids who could kick all of our butts. And then for retro games, I've been playing um, Akumajo Dracula on my X68K with my MT32. Rub it I in, why to. don't you? Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to rub it in? Jealous. Oh, that's wow. beautiful. Nice. <laughs> oh. The Manhattan skyline. <laughs> Whenever I hear Manhattan Skyline, I just think of the song by Aha. Yeah, say what you will about the Mister, but that that X sixty eight thousand case is just incredible. Ah, what a beautiful piece of hardware! It's my most prized possession for gaming. Don't you also have the monitor to match? Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to hold that up. Oh wow! No, that's another room. I'm actually when we first started, you guys were like, "Oh, you have such a nice setup." This is my bedroom. <laughs> I have no room. I was also gonna say my favorite, like, just computer hardware in terms of the design of the case is the next cube. The next cube looks friggin' cool. Yeah. Think about that one. Hmm. <laughs> All right, Vanessa, what have you been playing? Well, um, I've been playing a number of things. As you can see right behind me, I got the Super Famicom. Uh, recently, so I've been super excited. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a one chip O one. I actually <laughs> thought it was a one chip O two by the serial number, but it's actually an O one. Um, so I'm super <laughs> excited. <laughs> I I just I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I love. Absolutely love uh, the Super Nintendo. It's one of my favorite consoles of all time. And to actually own the Super Famicom, which I've always wanted, is just absolutely cool. And I actually, I need to get one thing. I got props. One sec. Had a, I had a fam, Super Famicom once, and then it kept breaking, and it was the video circuit. And it, every time I fixed it... I would leave it on my shelf and I would come back three months later and I would use it for a video and it wouldn't work. And I'd have my whole apartment covered in stuff. And I, you know, I had to stop what I was doing to fix it. And I lost my mind one day and I texted Jose. I was like, dude, you want a free fucking Super Famicom? Because I don't ever want to see this thing again for the rest of my life. He's like, sure, bring it over. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind getting a Super Famicom also because I prefer how that looks to the US SNES. Well, I've, I've got a PAL Super Nintendo and a Super Famicom side by side, and literally the logo is what differentiates them. Like they're, yeah. they're identical. Which which confuses me about the US redesign even more. Mm. Yeah, no offense, guys. Yours is really ugly. Oh God, it's so as bad. The, yeah. As someone who as someone who was born in two thousand, I agree. I loved it, but I grew up with it. So <laughs> I was you grew up with my it. first console. So to me, it's all just pure. It's like it's my baby. So I called I called Stockholm syndrome. 
I'm super curious. What are the, what are these props, Vanessa? You're really setting the scene for us here. I know, right? So, in addition to getting the Super Famicom, I've decided that I want to do complete and box Super Famicom games. So, I've started um, Retrobee. Got me started yeah. on uh, a couple copies gosh. of Final Fantasy. Of course, I had to get six and five. I've got four coming. Mm-hmm. But recently, I've gotten more in, so I've been really ooh, going to town ooh. on some of the early, um, well, not necessarily early, but, I mean, Star Fox is not early, but... Um, Still looks good, though. Oh, my gosh. Super Metroid in there. It... Oh, beautiful. <laughs> um, She's saving that for so... life, probably. <laughs> So I've been going through and just going after complete in box Super Famicom because I'm sorry, like this just kicks the pants off the freaking Super Nintendo as far as box art and everything goes like this just there's no comparison. Yeah, North America always kind of gets hosed out of the. Oh, there it is. There, there oh, they yeah. go. <laughs> Absolutely yes, lost. To, to be fair, when it comes to the SNES, the um, America got the just got beaten up and got the short end of the stick. We got you guys got the worst looking console, the not not as colorful looking controller. Yeah, but at least our controller cables were more than three inches long. So <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the one thing you got. And the con- time though. Concave buttons are superior. I'm just gonna put it out there. I I love the Famicom coloring, but I do love those little dimples on XY. There was a reason I bought the Apito SF thirty Pro instead of the SN thirty Pro and it's the colors. But yeah, that was a real weird time, right? That was like Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Japan had that real, you know, Japanese stuff. You know, no one in America would like it, quote unquote. So they had to localize everything, change everything, remove all the Japanese-ness from everything. And then same sort of thing was happening with Sega, at the, or Sega, sorry, Australian pronunciation, terrible. <laughs> uh, at the time where they were falling apart because of, of fighting between the, the two sides, right? So yeah, a real weird what? time in, in gaming. Wait, sorry, I want to loop it's back. Crazy. Do you say it's Sega? Yeah, sorry. That, it's a te- no. It's it's a terrible Australian thing. We all say Sega instead of oh, Sega. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, I, 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 acknowledge, I acknowledge that it's wrong, but I say it anyway. I'll say it a hundred times. Well, old habits die hard. With like the Nintendo versus the Famicom, once you got to the second version of the Famicom, it's the same as the second version of the NES. Yeah, the top it's just order. a little bit top, like a little bit taller. To make and... sure that our gigantic cartridges didn't <laughs> flop. <laughs> so huge cartridges, yeah. Those are why are they? Why are they so stupidly huge? Because they're supposed look... to look very like like a VHS a tape. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah because the they want to do the push down function. So Vanessa, I have to ask one question though. You said that by serial number, the Super Famicom also has one chip. Yeah, so um, there's the Super Nintendo database, and when I was looking, I was in the 25 million or 22 point, I, w- I was in SN25, ex- you know, uh, zero, zero, et cetera, and my, I was looking at the serial numbers, and mine was 80,000 from the first listed O two, O two chip. So when I got it and opened up, it was an O one. So it's like ah, I was super close uh, to O two. Looking at the serial numbers, so I know in between mine and about eighty thousand after that, 
somewhere in there is the transition from 01 to 02. So did anybody ever determine what the differences actually were? Because I spent four hours on a stream with Voltar years ago uh, testing so many different revisions. And I probably, without exaggerating, have had at least 30 come through my office, apartment, whatever else to test over the years. And we found that um, the differences were far greater just between basic tolerances of components because resistors were probably 5% tolerance back then. Uh, and, you know, we nerds nowadays would use 1% tolerance, but um, but you could have four one-chip dash ones that would all perform differently. So it's not necessarily... And by the way, when I say perform differently, I mean have a completely tweaked capture and zoom in a thousand percent. I don't mean your average person could see it on a CRT and understand the difference, but um, I, I still was curious why they made that definition between the models. No one ever heard any I, other info on that or. I have no I, clue. I, I just, I looked at your photos between the O one and O two. And the thing that I honed in on was links cap is like orange it's like more orange on the o2 where on the o1 it's like orange and then tapers off to dark so that could that absolutely explain or it could be explained by the resistor tolerance difference between the red green and blue levels how it um you know it's i think if anybody ever had the patience which i do not but if anybody had the patience of taking all three revisions and replacing all of the surface mount components and uh, on the video circuit with 1% tolerance resistors and 5% tolerance capacitors, you could get all of them to look identical uh, unless the chips themselves are, or have a high tolerance, but I don't really think so. Those like, so uh, Nintendo's version of the Sony CXA encoder, those were pretty decent. They weren't hugely different, you know, in a, in a run. So uh, I'm interested to see like MD Fourier outputs as well. See what the audio is like because I think it will suffer the same thing. I totally agree. Yeah, I wish there was. Isn't, uh, that, isn't that, that kind of what? Oh, go ahead, guys. I'm also curious. Um, is Voltar still working on the two chip solution? I mean, Voltar's working on a lot of stuff. I think I have like two grand worth of equipment lost in his garage from four years ago. Uh, but there is somebody else working on that who may actually finish it. And uh, believe it or not, the board was sent to me like six months ago. It got lost more than that. It got lost in shipping then it got found in shipping. And then we had scheduled, we meaning Jose and I scheduled time to install it because while I can do most of these mods, the problem I have is once I make a mistake, that's past my skill level. If you break a trace, if you have to replace a component. So I would bring it to Jose anyway, and now I'm wasting a lot more of his time than if he just did the mod in the first place. So when I say we do this together, I really mean he does it. And, you know, that I'm, I just kind of do the documentation around it. So I don't know where we're at with that, but we have a Super Nintendo, we have the boards, um, and we're ready to test. And there's two kinds. There's one to make it super quick. There's the right way to do it and a way to do it that might work and might not, depending on the game and the console. So we're obviously testing the right mod for it. Not, you know, no offense, but we're not wasting our time on something that it will always be a dice roll, depending on which model revision you have. So, yeah, well, I don't, don't want to. With that, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it, does that have anything to do with like the uh, digital video signals that people have discovered uh, on the Super NES motherboard? Because I remember seeing something on Shmups about. Uh, 
Black Dog Tech maybe having a solution for that in the future, or I guess Pixel FF now. Or yeah. So um, the only reason I'm I'm talking about this is because it's already on a forum. But basically, the person who discovered this stuff tapped into the digital video signals, and it's a digital to analog conversion, which mixed in with other stuff gets you a very high quality uh, RGB output. Um, that's on par with the one chip solutions on one model at least probably more but at the moment one model motherboard and then uh, dan and crew speculated like hey we're doing a million other things now but we might be able to take those digital signals with that depending on a million other things and as far as i know they haven't actually sat down and done it yet Um, and there are a few hurdles they'd have to get over but i mean if there was ever a team that could get over them uh, it's now Dan, Kristoff, and Woozle. So it's uh, three very awesome human beings that I'm, I'm very happy to see working with each other. Maybe they could find a way to tackle uh, X-Band support. In what... <laughs> Actually, there, I know there is a there's a team of people working to revive X-Band. Yeah, and that they're getting pretty far with that. And there's also a few other projects in the in different stages of completion. They're doing that and stuff like that to integrate it all together. And then there's there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. But um, a lot of it is proof of concept. And respectfully, I, I honestly mean this in a nice way, but it's a lot of times developers get 50% into a project and they have it working and they're really excited and they show it off. And then they don't realize that the next 50% of making it into a manufacturable and installable product is actually almost impossible. So I don't know <laughs> if, you know, I'm using that as a products as an example, but for these proof of concept net plays, um, I'm not sure how far they're going to go with them, but I hope, I hope it's possible because having a very low latency two player retro solution, is pretty awesome. And the only thing that's worked to pro level at this point is using cloud parsec so they have retro emulation running on an amazon server which they rent for a, a lot of money an hour and then both <laughs> both remote parties connect to the server so it's not no one competitor has the advantage they're both connecting you know to a cloud server and they were able to pull that off and the players themselves said it was mostly fine and to the point where the times they did notice anything you know, that that could have been anything. That could have been them live at a tournament and somebody bumping into them like, my dumbass actually did it at a tournament once. So, like, you know, the amount of actual, <laughs> in, like, interference was on par with what a live event might have been like anyway. That's the most impressive I've seen. So, basically, in the interviews, the guy was just going, it was that son of a gun who bumped into me, I swear. He won the match. I apologized. <laughs> I apologized afterwards. And then apologized after the tournament was over. And the dude pretty much looked at me like, do you know how many people run into me a night? Like, shut up. Like, no one cares. Like, so I still felt like a total moron, though. I know the feeling of being an, a feeling like an idiot. All right. So I think we I think it's a good time to start this conversation because I think we all have a pretty good opinion. And we all have we all come from different expertises in the video game world and um and, di- I, I, and some different time periods. Yeah, and it's uh, you know those things never matter, and in, in when it comes to opinions like this, though, so you know age and stuff mm. like that doesn't mean shit. Obviously, mean that respectfully. <laughs> sure. Uh, but what do you all think defines when a console becomes retro? And there's obviously going to be caveats to that. So, 
you know, for a while there, it was anything that didn't have an HDMI port is retro. But now that the PlayStation 3 sh- store is shutting down, does that mean that's now retro as well because you can't buy the games anymore? So what's what's anybody's thoughts on that? Who has the strongest opinion that they'd like to share, I guess? My I think, uh, oh. oh, yeah. Um, I think it's it's tough because we want to divorce like the emotional response of like, holy shit, this thing that I played in university is like retro now versus like what we would define sort of as like a, you know, like if we if we dug down through the sediment, like what counts as like retro at this point. Um, and I think like maybe a good rule of thumb is like if something is two generations old or if it's at the very least 15 years old then that that would probably constitute something uh retro you know and i mean in this case it's like you know one of the things that's a bit of an outlier is like the wii is so close to the gamecube in a lot of ways like does the wii kind of also straddle that same retro part of the industry that the gamecube does i think that's that's a personal decision but yeah i feel like 15 years or two console generations at least is probably uh, like where my my cutoff is. I agree with uh, ladies first. <laughs> I'm at two generations back too. That's actually like in my head. It's two generations. Um, the only other thing is I can't remember how long the PS2 was actually manufactured, but that's another thing is manufacture date. When was the last one actually produced? So for me, it wouldn't even necessarily be like 15 years, but maybe 10 years after the last one was done being made, if it's not two generations back. Okay. Well, that's an interesting question, too, because, I mean, you think about um, like the Famicom disk system and how long Nintendo was making parts to repair the drive belts and everything like that. Like that console was supported almost until the 21st century, wasn't it? Like I, maybe it was like early 2000s. They stopped selling parts for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they stopped because they just couldn't get any more parts or something like that, if I remember correctly. Like the material, like I think it was the materials to make them just dried up eventually. I could be, I could be wrong on that though. But yeah, it's kind of weird that PS3 would be considered like in my head. It's kind of like what you said, Alex. Like, yes, I was like I was in college or I was in high school when this was released. That's not retro. I'm not that old. Well, I am mm-hmm. old, and I played uh, PlayStation One through university. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's been a an acceptance thing that I've had to get to <laughs> myself, I think, over the last couple of years. But um, I I play part time mod on a on a big uh, Australian forum, and we've got a similar question came up a few years back, which was how do we define retro and how do we keep things? It's a PC centric forum, so it was like how do we keep you know our topics here and the newer topics there. Um, and and I wrote this in the writers channel, but the 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 gist was that a the forum's full of slightly younger people, so I'm quite old on that forum when most people are sort of in their twenties. So you know the idea that uh, fifteen or twenty years ago was retro was quite literally when people were infants. Um, so people do want a nostalgic hit, I guess, when they talk about retro. It's a big part of it. Um, the other thing is it's PC centric, so you can't, you know, two generations ago, three generations ago, it doesn't make any yeah. sense on a PC centric forum. Well, I guess you um, could say like if it was released during the age of Shutter Vista or you know something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean even then, right? Like there, there's such a broad range of stuff, um, and there's so many generations of things, and then you know like it depends on how you define it too. Like the i7 
chip, for example, is older than than ten years, but there's different families within that. So it's it's really hard to pick things. So because it's just there's so many people and so many different diverse tastes and everything. We ended up, and because it's a younger forum, we decided to go with ten years as the retro marker and totally arbitrary. There was no great positive or negative reason for it. It was just it was you know the the least dumb reason basically. Um, and that's that's worked really well. One of the the big things though is that it, for me preservation of games as art and games as culture is a big part of why I do this whole hobby. And I found also that games that are 10 years old, nobody talks about, right? Like retro stuff is popular because it's on eBay fetching a fortune and suddenly everybody knows about it. Or there's a million YouTube channels talking about the NES or whatever. But, but who talks about 10 year old PC games? Who talks about 10 year old anything games? They're just kind of lost, right? Yeah. People barely barely talk about portal two nowadays as an example. And that came out in 2011. But even like PlayStation 3 had a had a huge library that nobody talks about. There's a lot of really obscure, weird stuff on there too, like not just the mainstream stuff. Um, we're sort of, we're starting to pick this up on, on PlayStation 2 and Wii. Like I've got my whole Wii shelf here is all full of really weird stuff. But yeah, there, you know, there, there is sort of, um, I guess, new retro that's just kind of forgotten. And it, it'd be a shame to lose focus on that now rather than, you know, waiting until it's all rare and nobody can find it and it's really expensive. So, I feel like, I yeah, I feel like we should preserve this stuff while it's easily accessible. Agreed. Like, hack, as soon as a console gets hacked, dump whatever games you own onto, like, a backup server or something. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, in, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Danielle. Well, I was going to say, I think it's also part of a... Partly generational, but, you know, age thing. I mean, right now... You have a lot of people who are talking, you know, we, we talk fondly about, you know, fifth generation, sixth generation, you know, as younger gamers get older, they're going to talk about those Wii games. They're going to talk about those obscure PS3 games. They just have not gotten old enough yet to get on YouTube and talk to them and become popular about it. I think it's all cyclical, you know, um, Ten or so years ago, everyone was talking about Atari and talking about C sixty four, and you know now we're moving on to you know the big the big right now is the sixth gen, and you know now starting to talk a little bit about the three sixty. But I mean, you look at GameCube prices and GameCube prices are insane. Um, PS two is creeping up. You know, people are talking about the OG Xbox <clears throat> thanks to HDMI mods, but also Microsoft supporting uh, with the Series X and increasing the backwards compatibility of taking those OG games, putting it in your Series X, and getting all these good enhancements. And, so also, I, and also making sure those games are put on the marketplace so that if you don't have the physical copy, you could just buy a digital version of that game and enjoy it. So, yeah. you know, I. I I think it's all cyclical, you know, as the younger gamers get older, they're going to look at their nostalgia for things that they consider retro and we'll start getting on YouTube and, you know, we'll hopefully come to retro RGB and add some quality content uh, to this I, I definitely agree in the cyclical comment one of the other forums i'm on is an arcade collecting community um and most of the members there i think would be you know somewhere between 50 and 70 years of age um so they're they're really looking at the electromechanical stuff and the physical stuff right that's their sort of view of what 
modern gaming of their teenagehood was. So yeah, if you ask them about retro, they're like, oh, it's 30 years old, or that's their kind of line in the sand. We kind of have that yeah. same thing in pinball too. You know, you actually say electromechanical, early solid state, solid state. Uh, and now it's like LCD because now they just have giant LCDs in them. So it's kind of funny when you're like, okay, which one of this era do you guys like? Yeah, it's funny too, because you all bring up a very good point of there's a difference between your personal sense of what retro is and what you might, what the individual product itself might be classified as. So anybody who grew up with something between eight and 15 years old, when they hit 30 years old, that's retro to them. But if you look at it in the case of PCs, if it can run on Windows 10, is it retro, even if it's 20 years old or, you know, if it runs on DOS, it's definitely retro. And, you know, there there's so many different little niches that you could, you could put this into. And with console gaming, analog only support is definitely in there, which would technically include the 360 because it did not originally ship with an HDMI yeah. port. AV and out only. And that's why there's always going to be mods available for all of these consoles, because I guarantee you at some point, somebody's going to come out with an HDMI mod for the first generation 60s. So. <laughs> If they survive that long, holy shit. I mean, my old uh, Elite console just red-ringed like a couple of weeks ago. I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did. One thing I'm one thing I'm going to say about like just PC games is one way I would like I would probably classify it as just what was the major version of Windows that was used when the game came out. Like that's how I would sort of chunk it up. Even then, there's games that can do either, right? Like there's there's games out there that yeah, say like Crisis. Yeah. Crisis was XP, yeah. but also had DX10 and Vista, like and extra stuff. But Vista was the main operating system being pushed, so I would yeah. classify that as Vista era. Yeah, because the only problem is, is XP stayed for forever, and is <laughs> still, I think, possibly still exported, like uh, supported still... by Microsoft's like extended, extended, extended packages. I, I think yeah, that they're embedded and I think... series. That's that's think, when the uh, the anything think the, that's in their embedded line is minimum ten years, but they usually support it for far after that because that was one of the things in one of my previous companies was programming stuff for Windows embedded, um, and you know kiosks, ATM machines, the craziest things you could imagine have that, and that their Vista and Seven uh, embedded. The Seven embedded was actually really good, but the XP you you had to be a programmer to do that. So companies would spend a ton of money to have custom images built um and so that's one of the many reasons why that stuff is still you know still being used uh rainy and ray uh what are, what are your folks' thoughts on uh on the retro conversation when i go first rainy well um sure. uh for me it's it's about the games i mean um ask me five years ago i would i would tell you anything prior to the dreamcast is retro mm. But um, ever since uh, uh, stuff like the virtual console and uh, Xbox Live and stuff like that, I mean, the flux of indie games that we have now on, on modern consoles, um, the line between retro and modern becomes a little bit blurry uh, for me because it's, like I said, it's about the games more than um, about the actual hardware. I mean, you could, um, you could play... Um, an 8-bit style game now on a 4K console, so it doesn't make any difference to me. Kind mm. of like uh, synthwave music. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. And like in my in my case, there's there's really no blanket term that covers everything. It's no matter how hard you try, you'll never encompass all consoles and computers into retro, classic, or or modern. Uh, for me, it if it needs an external device or a mod to connect to a mod, to a current TV, it's retro. It's well, I mean, a lot of TVs don't don't even come with anything but HDMI ports these days. I was gonna say I was gonna say technically some TVs still have composites, so did that few, did but... that did that count? <laughs> a few even if, the, again, even if the picture is crap when you blow it up on there <laughs> exactly but again nothing will encompass no matter what you what term you use what terminology you use it's never going to encompass everything for example let's take the gamecube the original model came with hdmi out the wii does not have hdmi out oh the, no the way digital, you know, unless you mod it yeah. you mean digi the digital, digital port digital, yes so yes you have the digital port on the original gamecube which you know you can get like an insurrection Carby and plug it into your TV digitally. And then, you know, the second model of the GameCube got rid of that port, but the first one had it. Then the Wii didn't have it at all. Yet you, you have to mod the Wii to in order to get HDMI out. So no, it all depends on that. And also it kind of depends on age. You know, as somebody who works for a school district and sees kids going from pre-K to to graduate, you know, what they see as as uh, a classic or a retro game is gonna be much different than what we all see. Yeah, somebody was somebody yeah, who was exactly. born when the PS3 came out. Now it's 15 years old. So what's classic to them? You know what's yeah. retro to them? You know I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm son. Sorry, we all we all hit it at the same time. Somebody else go. <laughs> okay, I've I've got teenage kids, and I asked my son, you know, his impression of retro. The same sort of conversation, trying to get that you know younger approach to it. Um, and for him, you know, it really is that nostalgic hit of he played so much Wii when he was younger. So that to him is is his you know his NES basically. Well, I also yeah. laugh because my brother's only four year four years younger than me, and. My console was that Super Nintendo, but her his was the PS One. So we and I mean my mom's was the Odyssey Two. So <laughs> right system. So for this gen, it's probably going to be their iPad Two, and you know. <laughs> for me, technically, my first my first console that I had was a wide GBA that I just I had a bunch of like movie tying games and shovelware. I think, Actually, and the first. What was everybody's first console in the chat? The, yeah, it's like the first console I had was the GBA, and I also I don't, and I only came with a copy of the Jungle Book for the original Game Boy. And like a delinquent little kid, I stretched it. I stretched the image like a <laughs> little delinquent. My, my first home console was the Wii, though. So my mom. So my mom's an I'll call her an OG gamer. Um, <laughs> She, we had an NES growing up, uh, but that was like the family console, but mine was Super Nintendo. That was actually, I got it as a gift with Mario Paint. Mm. That was, must have been a nice bundle. I got one that I don't, I don't know if anybody's heard of this one. It's the Coleco Gemini. Yep. Is that the triangle one? No, that's the TriStar. That's the TriStar. Yeah. No, it's basically a Atari twenty six hundred clone. It came with a controller that both had the, the stick like a like an Atari did, and it also had a paddle underneath it. So it's honestly, when I hear Coleco and Atari in the same sense, I just think of the add on for the uh, Coleco Vision that just lets you play twenty six hundred games. 
yeah, one day when you're really bored, just look up a Coleco Gemini and you may learn something new. Hmm. <laughs> Ronnie, Dan, what were your two first consoles? Because it's, it's in, you know, the U.S. is geographically huge, right? So somebody in California's first console in the 80s would definitely be different than somebody on the East Coast console. But when you start to get to different countries and everything else and uh, that's it when you interesting. Start, yeah, it starts to be pretty cool because there's a lot of different revisions of stuff that I never saw growing up. So, what was U2's? Funny, you go. Um, okay. So, uh, my brothers had the, the Atari 2600, obviously, in the 80s. Uh, but um, when, the, when the Civil War has ended here, that was in 1990, um, we opened up to the world and... Uh, my cousin actually got a Sega Master System, and I love that because um, because there there was the uh, port of uh, Double Dragon on it. It was so perfect to me. So I asked, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I asked my parents for a Master System, and uh, they agreed. They said, "Yeah, okay." And we went to the store, and um, they asked uh, the guy for a Master System, and it was like, um, "We don't have that. We have a Mega Drive." And I said, no, I don't want that. I, w I want a master system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I ended up with uh, with a Mega Drive, and uh, and I loved it, and I still do. What an, an excellent mistake. What, that's, that's the greatest <laughs> letdown in the history of letdowns. Oh, no, I have to upgrade to their 16-bit oh, no. version. Yeah. Oh, no, I got the better version. Wow. That's awesome. That's a great story. Oh, man, I'm uh, sound now. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you know what? At least you probably could have gotten the power base converter at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to all the PC gamers because um, my parents didn't let me get a video game console, but my dad was an engineer and we had uh, my uncle worked at Dell. And so back then he got us a really nice 486, 33 megahertz. You know, it had like the shittiest hard drive and just ran everything in MS DOS. So. Um, you know, just being able to boot stuff up in command line was how I started. And uh, God, you know, I still think back to like Betrayal at Crondor and uh, Commander Keen and like early Doom stuff. And yeah, but yeah, so I feel like for a lot of people, their first console is going to be a PC. And that was definitely my uh, my childhood growing up, too. Oh. I'm trying to find the, one of the earliest actually, like PC games I had, which I couldn't find. It was the first. So this is like the second one I have. This friggin' meme of a game. <laughs> I do not remember if this was good or not. But yeah, I up. before I had before I had uh, just consoles, I also had just PC games. Yeah, I think I still have my copy of King's Quest on five and a half inch floppy around here somewhere. But oh yeah, my my technically my first console was a Tandy one thousand with no hard drive, so you had to boot to floppy every time. And King's Quest was one of the games I used to play. Uh, and Zaxxon, which I, I don't think I ever even beat the first level. A weird. I liked the game, but a weird one. And then my parents, my dad was tired of me being on his computer, so I got a TRS-80. Then a few years <laughs> later, I got a, um, a Nintendo, just the, the, the front-loading NES. Uh, but yeah, technically, I, I started, I basically learned to read on the Tandy 1000. Yeah, I imagine, it's like Dan, yours had to have been some kind of computer before it was a um, a console, right? 
Yeah, well, uh, quite a weird one. So my very, very first gaming system was, and I I'm, I'm apologize, I'm going to say Sega a million times. It was a Sega <laughs> SE3000, um, which was the basically the SG1000 that got turned into a home PC. Um, and it had, uh, yeah, most, most of the games came on audio tape and it was just standard audio that the hardware would then interpret from the waveform. So it wasn't like anything special or encoded. You could just bang any old, tape player in the back of it um and and uh copy games that way as well some games had some weird copy protection where they put the audio out of phase but you could do a little peek poke command and and get past that it was pretty cool but yeah that's most of my preservation work that i do personally is based on that console so my my website stickfreaks.com i put up uh tape dumps there there's a group in new zealand so that console um i guess a bit of a backstory nintendo just didn't have the foothold here that it did in North America, right? So, like, Sega, Sega, there I go, say it again, was everywhere <laughs> here. Um, as a kid, like, everything I had was Sega up to the Super Nintendo. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it was massive here, and that was the brand that was everywhere. They had Australian offices here. They had, um, you could ring them up and get, you know, uh, help with games on a, on a phone line, much I think Nintendo had the same thing in North America. Nintendo um, Power so has the, the hotline, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of prominent YouTubers here in Australia who are all ex-Sega um, Hotline staff members, um, and they talk frequently about their times back in those days, which is pretty cool. Can uh, just, since Spacey's... Sorry? Can, can you talk briefly about like what the solutions are for getting those tape, like those audio files into like a Mr. and a Raspberry Pi? Because I feel like I've seen those modules before, but I like I don't really understand exactly how that works. You have to like play back the audio file and then over like eighth-inch TRS, like feed it into... Uh, like a, a Raspberry Pi or like a Mister to actually use those cores with those audio files, or how does that work? Depends on the system. Like I know that the, there's been a lot of work on the Commodore 64 for them to come up with a tape format where they they basically changed the and they started doing it on the uh, Sega SC3000 as well. They they go from an audio thing because the audio is encoded, right? Mm -hmm. So it's I think it's 1200 hertz and 2400 hertz pulses. Um, so then you can just represent them as something else and turn it into a very, very tiny little uh, file instead. But certainly for the SC3000, there's nothing in Mr. yet. Um, I, I've been meaning to do a request for enhancements to somebody to see if we can get the, the audio format in. But it's definitely in like uh, all the major Sega emulators. So uh, Mecha's got it, um, MAME and all the MAME offshoots have got it. Um, and for those ones, you can just literally point it to a WAV file and it'll read the WAV file, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, all the, all the stuff on my side are just, they're raw WAV files. But because uh, there's a site, sc3000survivors.com, they did a whole bunch of work on getting this bitstream sorted out. And so you can pull in an analog uh, audio tape file into your um, SC3000, then re-export it. Um, as a perfect square wave, and then that compresses down really well because there's, you know, it's, it's just digital information basically encoded in audio. Um, so the mm -hmm. wave files are pretty tiny. They come out at like bytes sometimes, which is crazy. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, that was my first system. So that was uh, a long time ago. But yeah, Bob, definitely uh, a, a computerish, console-ish thing <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> you know, when yeah. the, the night is um, for a for a small period of time, I felt that that like uh, console gamers were were the master race, um, at, at least in the very early nineties. Uh, Definitely. And, uh, until until probably Doom came out on the PC, and I was like, "Damn, okay." <laughs> my, my how times have changed. 
That's funny. Yeah, and I Absolutely. was also going to add to the, um, you know, what is retro kind of tail end of that. You know, you look at countries like Brazil. In Brazil, they still have, what, master systems being sold there currently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it also would have to go to, you know, what what country or region you're from and what they are offering there. Because I'm sure a Brazilian's perspective would be a lot different than someone here in North America. Yeah, you know, yeah. I um, I'm kind of finishing up my, you know, I know I've been I've been working on this for almost as long as the stupid wiki, but I'm uh, finishing up the scripts on the Getting Started series, and a point that I make, and by the way, I I mean this respectfully. All the points we talked about here were valid, and I enjoyed all of them. But the point that I strongly make is that it doesn't matter in the slightest bit because video games are exactly like art. And music, especially in classic cars, is an example I always go to in that, you know, it doesn't matter when something was made. It's all that matters is how you enjoy it today. Now, of course, there are certain factors. Like, if you hear a song at a certain time, every time you hear that song, it'll remind you of that time. But that song could have been written in 1950, 1999, yesterday, it doesn't really matter. And I truly think it's the same thing with video games. If you play something and you like it, awesome. If it has a nostalgic factor to you, that's cool too, but that doesn't have to do with when it was released. So to your point about Brazil, somebody in 2002 could have played Double Dragon for the Master System and gone, what a badass game. Bimmy and Jimmy were kicking, <laughs> kicking ass on the way. You know? <laughs> and it's just it, To them, that's their nostalgic experience, and you know, it doesn't matter how old they were or when Double Dragon was released. So I, and I truly think that that's why so many people care about retro games, because if it's a good game, it's a good game, period. Just like if yeah. it's a good song, just like if it's a weird and unique car or an article of clothing or a piece of artwork, like there's a reason the Met is still packed, you know, even uh, even during lockdown times. If it was open, there's people in there and it's for all these really awesome reasons. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about video games as a medium, I mean, you know, if you want to go to the Louvre and you want to see, uh, you know, a lot of the paintings there, I mean, really, the interface is you take your eyeballs and you point them at the thing that you're looking at. And I feel like with video games, one of the cool things is that, like, as the technology improves, the way that we enjoy this medium is improving, too. Uh, like, I always have the argument with people that I feel like in 2021, save states are an essential portion of enjoying retro video games on consoles. Just so many games, especially in North America, were not designed to be, uh, you know, what's the word that I'm thinking of? I mean, they, they were sort of designed around the rental market and making it as difficult yeah. as possible. So like having save states now makes so many games more accessible and more enjoyable than when they were released in, you know, the late 80s or the early 90s. So that's yeah i just i think that uh you know we've got so many things that separate video games from other mediums in terms of preservation and uh like reinterpretation just in the, the broader preservation sense there's a lot of talk um like if you talk to to anyone in, in digital preservation whether it's film or music or whatever they talk about accessibility as the the major factor right you've so you've dumped something to a pile of bits on a disc that's great can you do something with that pile of bits on a disc um, so yeah, they they really do emphasise that it's you know there, there's an elitism sometimes around the original way to to consume media of any kind or any art form, but definitely yeah you know, I think it's pointless unless people can actually enjoy it. And if that means 
emulators, if that means, you know, misters, if that means something that's not the original hardware, that's still fine. Like as long as people can can get to the thing. Um, but, you know, that certainly doesn't stop people tinkering with hardware either. They're not incompatible concepts. You know, I think that brings up a really great thing that might maybe ends up our, our next question, or maybe this is just stupid thought, but um, you could argue that there's no wrong way to experience art and music now of course there's always the side of people that's like you've never been in a heavy metal mosh pit you don't know what heavy metal is i I don't know about that i've seen hundreds and hundreds of shows and played quite a few myself and while it's a different experience i also had a wonderful time as a kid with my headphones on listening to all my old albums and uh you know ronnie i I definitely want your input on this if you disagree you know we got the pro musician here but you know, when it comes to video games, there is a wrong way to experience some of these. You know, you buy one of those knockoff cables with a million frames of lag that's, you know, makes your, your image look wrong. And it's because... Or that Hyperkin cube thing that came yeah, out yeah. recently. And it's yeah. because the art and music are designed to be consumed where video games are designed to be interacted with. So I guess that brings up, like, what would you classify as wrong way to video game? I personally think software emulation is amazing um i just think that cheap scam hardware products are the wrong way and you know sloppily thrown together software emulation my wrong way to me is if you're well one is stretching it i think is bad although one thing i do kind of consider is right is just expanding the aspect ratio out like Whenever I, when I play, first played Ape Escape on the PlayStation, I used Beetle PSX HW through RetroArch, and I turned on the like perspective correct texture, texture setting, and the uh, like widescreen hack aspect ratio thing, which looks really nice. It stretches the HUD, but the rest of like the 3D graphics are the right aspect ratio and the right shape and everything. Uh, this, this is probably going to sound like a cop out in terms of it because you know I think uh, it it is like really subjective. I'd say the only wrong way to experience retro video games is through like a, a layer of abstraction that sort of doesn't contribute to the spirit of the medium. And I I don't want to call out specific companies, but let's say for instance that you are in, enjoying a game from a piece of hardware that's running emulation code that's been appropriated from like an open source project and sold without license. Again, I don't want to call out any specific companies. I think yeah, we're we have no idea about. who you're talking about. Here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, like I think at the end of the day, like most of the people who are developing like software and hardware to enjoy retro video games are doing it in the spirit of like trying to just make it more accessible. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, and then there's people who are just doing it to make a quick buck and exploit everybody else. And I feel like that's the wrong way. Uh, there's certainly sort of like shades and gradients of like a more right way to do it but i feel like the only wrong way to do it is when you're actively uh exploiting uh you know the community to like make a quick buck if that makes any sense hopefully i'm not again making a cop there uh it makes total sense to me i I read a really i read a really interesting paper the other day um again on the digital preservation side where someone's uh putting forward the idea that you know you've got archive.org and they've got um emulators that run in your browser so it's it's a wasm binary that actually executes through your browser it's not like a, a remote desktop session or anything like that you actually download the code executed in the browser <laughs> yeah. and what that means is when you say you're a journalist and you publish an article 
um, or you're a researcher and you publish an article, there's a really great opportunity now for um, people to embed save states in the article. So now oh, wow. instead of a screenshot or instead of a video, you can actually say to people like, here's this game that's running. Oh, and if you press play in this little box, you get that thing running at that exact point because I've embedded the save state so you can see it for yourself and you can rewind and you can fast forward. So in terms of the the documentation around video games, there's now this sort of more dynamic content that's available because of emulation, which is pretty cool. And didn't... Didn't uh, Frank Zafaldi, uh, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but there was like that SNK 40th anniversary Yes, I was about to where, bring that up. Uh, he, or like they had uh, like tool-assisted speedruns of each one of the games. And at any point you could you could stop the tool-assisted speedrun and play from that point, right? Yeah, like that's- it wasn't, it wasn't a task, but it was a, just a regular demo recording of a playthrough of the game that you could fast forward, rewind, play, pause, control that. But then you could also just, hit a button and it'll just drop you in and you can play the game from that point. And back to your comment before, Alex, you were talking about, you know, accessibility of these old games. And it was like, you know, a lot of these old games were designed, you, you had the arcade era where everything was intentionally difficult just to extract money out of you. And then you got into the home console era where these things were physically limited, right? You only had so much ROM space and, and so much processing power. So a lot of the games were just stretched out for no reason other than to stretch them out, right? Like I'm playing Final Fantasy 1 right now and it is stretched. There's just no point to half that game. The story could be encapsulated in, what, 15 minutes maybe? But the rest of it is just like artificial padding. So, you know, I think uh, the concept of, of save states and fast forwarding and all that kind of cool stuff that we get with tools these days really does, you know, we're all short on time. We're all maybe a little bit uh short attention span these days uh but i think that's kind of an interesting way to to make old games less grindy i guess i mean after every last semester when i was just going through gunstar heroes again with a blast m after every level i would just do a save state just so i could like close the emulator do some college work and pick the game up back later where i left off that's how you save states just a, a bookmark yeah really all right so I feel like we covered really good ground so far. We had a very interesting discussion about what is retro. We uh, we all got our, our our first. Vanessa, did you tell your first console? Did I forget that already? I'm only one beer down. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, okay, we'll pass. <laughs> my technically my first console was the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Uh, my parents had them, and uh, my uncle had a C sixty four. So I got to dabble with those, and then in eighty eight. 88, I think I got a NES for Christmas and um, went on there ever since. Awesome. I wanted to make sure we didn't miss anybody because I know a lot of those are um, can turn into pretty cool stories and it's something that people really identify with because, you know, while we say these things out loud, we're also all picturing in our brains where we were when we got these first consoles and what it was like to take them apart and all that stuff. So that's always an important Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Because you just real quick to touch, you know, I still feel like 2000 was yesterday. And six generation consoles, the Dreamcast, GameCube, OG Xbox, and PS2, like, I know other people consider those retro. But for me personally, I don't, it was such a graphical leap from the 64 and the PlayStation uh, and Saturn up to those consoles that those still, those games still feel modern to me 
And it's still kind of hard to divorce that. That's 20, you know, going on 20 plus years old now. Yeah. So you, you brought up a point that I, I didn't know where the good place to inject this was, but thank you very much for leading us into this and in that there is one exception to that. So the first time I, I played a DC digital, which and set it to 960p mode on my 4k TV, it had that mix of sharp and smooth scaling and it felt like a PS3 game. So it was a Dreamcast. And you could say the same about uh, some GameCube games as well. But PlayStation 2 is just that one console with a mostly 480i library where they used a lot of older techniques, a lot of the dither blending, a lot of the stuff that you really should play in composite video on a CRT. So I think that's one of the weird ones. What do you, you know, does anybody have any thoughts on the 480i stuff? And, you know, do you have a preferred way? Is there any hardcore PS2 fans here that could speak to that? I'm I'm not a hardcore PS2 fan, but I will say whenever I want to play like MGS2 or MGS3, I just load up my Xbox One and play the HD versions. There, and they still they still look really good at like I guess it's 720p or those versions are like they still look really good in HD. Like they look almost like early 360 games at times. I'd say one of the things that I have to do with uh, for most of my rhythm games on PS2 is actually just play it on CRT. Because mm-hmm. uh, while like stuff like the retro tink doesn't have the lag, my TV still does, and especially audio because I have a sound bar, so the audio gets desynced. Right, so you're mm-hmm. not just battling the pretty constant but still lag of a flat panel. You're also dealing with the lag of the audio as well. So your brain, your hands, and your you know your eyes, your ears have to. That's, that's a good point. I, I keep forgetting about rhythm games. I'm going to steal that one. I'll quote you, but I'm going to steal that reference. One of the. <laughs> Yeah, if you grab something like Space Space Channel 5 is unplayable on them. Yeah, I was Oh god, yeah. yeah. That is uh, super hard. Actually I will Space Channel 5 Part 2, the HD version is pretty good. I played on the PC version, like since that's mostly sound, display lag doesn't matter. Unless you have sound lag in your setup, then that's a problem. I bought a PlayStation 2. I on that game too. Timing on Space Channel 5 is so tight on top of... Uh, the first one especially is pretty strict, I found. Like, I played that one through a Dreamcast emulator, and like, I had a stupidly hard time with that. Or uh, Samba de Amigo. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, just to jump on real quick on, on the Dreamcast. I played uh, through the re- I played on my Shield through the Redream emulator. And with the with the widescreen hacks and uh, you know raising the resolution, man, the Dreamcast still looks amazing. I was playing, yeah. I played sort of Berserk on the widescreen patch, and it looked almost like a real PS3 game. I was amazed. I couldn't believe how such an early game for that console could look so good upscaled correctly. You should do a video yeah. on that, Ray. If I once I get uh my setup uh, back up to normal, it's been crazy since you know the C virus hit. Freaking Wii games look really good on on Dolphin at like 4K at times, especially if you get a good like AI upscaled HD texture pack on top of it that clean makes the textures clean mm-hmm. for those resolutions. <laughs> First bought a PlayStation 2, not at all for modern games. Like I, they, it just had a huge volume of particularly Japanese arcade games that Mame didn't emulate. Right, so there was you had Metal. Uh, Slug 6, you had Hakuto no Ken, you had all the Guilt Gears, you had like all this really cool stuff that you just couldn't get 
any other way and the ps2 home ports were really brilliant so like i bought one just for that stuff i don't don't think i played a 3d game on a ps2 for like i don't know probably until the ps2 was dead really and then i rediscovered the whole back catalog but yeah i bought one and the first thing i did was uh shove it into an arcade machine um so that was like my my early ps2 experience was all low lag crt mostly fighters um but definitely a few shmups as well I sort I of wonder didn't... about the PlayStation 2 in terms of like it's because you know you think about something like uh like the GameCube and they have Swiss which like thank God for Swiss like every GameCube game looks better when you when you turn off that vertical uh, filter that's there and I know that the PS2 has GSM but it feels like the hit rate for uh, 480p output is really low I wonder if that's like a limitation of the console itself or just that the community hasn't been able to get over a certain hurdle you know because I feel like out of any console that's ever been released it would benefit the most from a kind of um, you know, approach to just how the signals output. Because uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Black Dog Tech slash, I don't know if it'll be a Pixel FX product, but just to see where the PS2 digital goes, because the PS1 digital has been such a, a marked improvement in video quality over the original analog signals. So I'm just excited to be able to play something like Chrono Cross and being able to go back and forth from the menu and not have everything have to resync over and over and over again. Uh, yeah. Speaking of like just PS2 like successes of PS1 mods, I'd love to see. I'd honestly love to see a PS2 X station just so that you could use uh, PlayStation One dumps on the actual PS2 hardware because apparently like the HD loader uses some like weird middle ground of like emulation for Pop PS1 Star, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've, talked to, uh, I've talked to people about this, and um, there's a few hurdles, but hopefully, hopefully. Somebody's going to start working on it because the, when I first brought this up, uh, the people who make these response was, that's dumb. Why would you need that? Just use, you know, open PS2 loader. I'm like, uh, that's really complicated. I, I... You're forgetting that a lot of people want to hand their consoles to a modder and say, please do this for me. Even if I have the skills to do it, I don't have the time. You're better than me anyway. You do this. I'm going to come home. And I want to put my ISOs on the USB stick and plug it in. And I don't want to deal with anything else. So hopefully they're listening, because I really do think that one would be a pretty big seller. And in the case of my setup especially, like, I don't have that much room. I would, if I could, I would love to consolidate both my PS2 and PS1 into just a PS2. That's like, because I don't have the space for it. Like, if it's slim only, okay, I'll buy a slim for that mod. I've got a fat at currently, but I'll I'll buy a slim for it. Just I would love to have an X-Station PS2. You know, my, my problem uh, with, uh, with the PS2 is, is kind of trivial. I find it to be uh, a bit too sharp on my PVM uh, using the HD retrovision component cables. Uh, so I I, uh, I plugged it in in a uh, consumer-grade JPC uh, uh, TV through S-Video, and uh, it looked much better to me. Uh, so I've, yeah. I've, I've always had this... Um, this kind of problem with being a bit too sharp. I mean, give me back this dithering effect. I love it. It it feels like um, it's so unique to the to the system. There's no other system like it. I, I completely agree, and I, I very often recommend people tr- like, especially if you are have a PS2 and a composite video cable already. Grab any CRT off the side of the road. You can find them all the time in New York. Here, plug it in and just try it. 
because most people agree in that that's exactly how the developers at the time wanted those games to look. They're using all of the imperfections to make the game almost look higher resolution. And then as soon as my, my favorite example is the bubble in Nights into Dreams in from Saturn. Yeah. Because if you play that in RGB, the whole game looks beautiful, but there's all these dots everywhere. And when, it's just you play it in composite, now there's a, a transparent bubble. And it's when, that's a great point. One thing I love about Saturn emulation was that I played the Saturn version of Nights into Dreams for the My Life in Gaming Game Club. And I decided to do the Saturn version because I played the HD version on PC before in the past. And when you raise the internal resolution of a Saturn game, the dithered pixels become smaller and smaller because they're just one pixel in the up res resolution. So you still so the transparency has a slight texture to it, but it still looks like a transparent ball, essentially. Now, Bob, real quick with um Nights in a Dream on the Saturn. Were you trying it in the anamorphic widescreen? Because it does have that yeah. option. Um, yeah, that it's pretty good too. I've tried both and the 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 bubble point stands in, in both modes, but yeah, the the widescreen stuff's interesting because yeah. if you're if you have a display that supports it, like somebody here I know for a fact does, Vanessa. Or an or an and, emulator. Uh, <laughs> actually Dan's got one too, literally right behind him. But point being, if you have a widescreen CRT, um I know that you actually have it, if you do that kind of widescreen, you're losing a little bit of detail because it's the same amount of uh, pixels being stretched across. But I do appreciate, uh, like the point Chris made before, as long as you're not stretching the image, I do really appreciate all of that extra detail. Um, and I wonder how that would affect it because it's the same theory in that there's less detail in the same space. So I wonder if that would make it feel more transparent. So composite Only video, the- Saturn widescreen on a, on the BVM or something. One thing I actually wonder is if those dithered pixels would become rectangles or like just instead of like just squares, like depending on the resolution, if they'd just be wider pixels if, yeah. did, if it's dithered. Depends on the game. Like um, I, I play a lot of um, GameCube games through my Wii via Nintendo and they've got a, a um, you can force 16 is to 9 and aspect correct and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, you definitely see those, those non-square pixels creep in, but you're less sensitive to it. The human brain's less sensitive to is more sensitive to vertical resolution than horizontal oh. resolution. Yeah, um, I heard that talk when it comes to like modern games with dynamic resolution scales, like horizontal resolutions are less noticeable. Yep, and, and that's why, you know, like the Super Nintendo's almost, uh, it's what, 8 is to 7 or something, like a really odd square resolution that they blow out because it just, it saved a lot of memory and processing and nobody really notices. As long you know, as for it's kind of shimmering. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we need Mark from My Life in Gaming to <laughs> pop out of nowhere and just be like shimmering, shimmering, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Mortal Kombat toasty, but exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, for as controversial as uh, as Zach or Voltar can be sometimes, I think one of the things he really nailed is that you know a lot of us think of like RGB or component as like the superior signal, but I think that each one of the connection types is kind of its own aesthetic. And I know for me personally, jumping between, um, you know, a component HD retrovision or RGB to uh, composite on my PVM, they're, they're very different looks. And I feel like maybe somebody's doing it and I just don't know, but is somebody making like high quality component or sorry, a composite, composite video cables for retro consoles? Because I feel like I definitely have the... Um, 
uh, you know, like uh, retro gaming cables made that one N64S video uh, cable that was really good. But is anybody out there making properly specced, well-made composite video cables for retro gaming consoles? So um, the answer to that is actually interesting in that because the inheritance of composite video is already noisy, if you the difference between mostly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying here. I know there's going to be somebody in the comments that's like, actually, but the main difference in all of this is that when you have a really good shielded composite and stereo audio cable versus a junk one, the main difference then becomes in the audio. As the the interference between the lines starts to hit, you get a hum or a buzz, especially uh, like the Konami logo, right? When when it gets all white and then back, that's when you get that really loud buzz coming through. Um, so I don't know if there's anybody trying to make really good composite cables, but I think for anybody out there who appreciates audio, that uh, that absolutely is something that we would like. Um, but to your point, I have a very, very strong opinion about signals when it comes to playing on crt anything is awesome they all have their own advantages and disadvantages whether it's a ps1 you know but you're talking about sharpness versus blending or anything else they're all good but when you start scaling this stuff on a flat panel scale all of the interference as well as the signal so rf through a vcr into a composite video scaler to a 4k tv is going to look terrible Whereas RF into a CRT, if you're not in the middle of Manhattan, is going to look pretty much like composite <laughs> and you're going to have a great signal. That's actually something I'm trying to add to one of my videos is how RF looks in Manhattan in my apartment versus how it looks when I just like it, you know, just outside of the city when there's not thousands of wireless networks around. But that's one, pretty much it. One thing I'm going to say, though, about that, though. One time I actually loaded up my Dreamcast with the composite cable because that's the only video connection I have for my Dreamcast uh, through my OSSC with the Core U. And at 5X, it surprisingly looked really good. There was some dot crawl, but that's all I noticed hmm. in terms well, of like, imperfections in the picture. It looked pretty good. Anybody here with a RetroTink 2X <laughs> Pro, have you tried out the low frequency mode on uh, like the component video input that's supposed to simulate kind of the, the composite video look? Can anyone comment on that? Because I don't have a, a 2X Pro, so I haven't I'm, tried it yet. I'm laughing. I, I'm laughing not because of your question, but because I do so many of these videos where I take uh, footage. I asked Mike as a favor if he could make me a special firmware that doesn't have it so I don't accidentally capture footage in that mode when I'm looking at like a little pre preview window. <laughs> so I run a custom version of the Tink firmware. So if anybody else could, could answer that, please. You should just get, you should have a second Tink that's stock without that firmware. Yeah, I got and like 10 of them it. and they're all on the custom firmware. But sorry, sorry. That made me laugh. <laughs> Sorry, I actually, I actually, sorry, I actually did cover it in my uh, last RetroTink uh, 2XM video. So there's actually a couple of examples in there. It's not super long or anything, but it gives you an idea of how it works. And it works very well, at least on the Genesis, which is where I tried it. But the Mega Drive, you know, for anybody who's not in the U.S., yeah, and I feel like for the Genesis, uh, that'd probably be the best use for it, because I don't know about anybody else, I've been having a hell of a time finding good uh, Genesis mini-DIN cables that have the proper audio wiring. Uh, like any of the stores around me that stock those cables, or even console5.com, it's like the audio uh, is using that out-of-date spec that HD Retrovision uh, like updated their documentation for ages ago. So it's been hard to find good Genesis cables, and 
having like a composite video mode for the RetroTINK that uses HD retrovision cables would be kind of ideal for me. But it's nearly impossible now because the cables that are out now, most of them have the stereo reverse as well. So it's it's like you have junky video, reverse stereo. They I mean, at least, at least with the stereo reversal, that's a simple solution for most people. You just swap the cables. It is, like, but it's plug so into the annoying. Opposite, but, Especially when yeah. anybody that works with this stuff as as part of their you know content creation it's like you grab a cable you plug it in there was one i was so freaking mad i i was testing i i forgot which mod i was testing but audio wasn't working or i was getting a buzz out of one channel and i freaked out i'm like i know i'm not the best at this stuff but i definitely wouldn't have made this mistake this is horrible what did i do and then i realized it was the cable some junky it was brand new still sealed i took scissors and i cut it in a million pieces and threw it out i was like i don't ever want to make this mistake again screw this cable and I, I don't want to put him on the spot but ryan from castlemania did talk about at least looking into getting quality composite cables for this exact reason so you know, it, yeah. if you find a CRT, whether it's on the side of the street or your old one, and you hook up your classic consoles, there's no reason why you have to listen to a loud buzz on your audio, or or even have to worry about reversing the audio channels. There should be some basic ass shit that people get right. So I don't know how far he got with it, but he he was putting some serious effort into getting decent. Well, and I don't want to throw him under the bus either, but I think. God, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right. Tian Feng, am I getting that right? Am I? It's did I? Tian Feng, but I pronounce Tianfeng. it differently every time I say it, just because he's my friend and we fuck with each other. Okay, <laughs> he's a, he's a great dude. Sorry, I, I want to give him more respect than pronouncing his name wrong. I feel bad, but uh, I feel like he was looking into something about good Genesis composite video cables as well. So hopefully, yeah. you know, we can get some good composite video back, and you know, there'll be uh, you know uh, an abundance of different options for people enjoying retro games. Yeah, one of the other projects we're looking at, too, is circling back all the way around from where RetroRGB started, and that a lot of the console mods that uh, that we promote and love end up accidentally, as a side effect, disabling composite video. And my, my biggest fear of that, by far, is that somebody will have the console now, understand that, not care, because they're not using composite anyway, and whoever gets that console next plug in a composite video cable and go, it's not working, console's dead, throw it out. So, you know, not it's not just it being able to experience it with composite. It's that whole, we all have to wonder about who gets our consoles next. And that's not even a depressing thing. It's just one of those, like, you know, it's life. You want to pass these things on to other people when you're done with them. So we are working on a few things where it's getting 99% as good of an RGB output while still retaining every feature. And the only one that um, I think the only one that we worked on there was a PS2 mod that kept composite uh, and at, and deleted S video so that you could get C sync. But I kind of feel like that one's okay because you're either going to go you know RGB or composite with PS2. But who knows? With all the new stuff coming out now, there, that might not even be a thing. But yeah, we're we're absolutely on that, uh, and it's something I think it's important to a lot more people than normally hear about. Yeah, that's a quite... good... oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's a good point. And uh almost makes me wanna like label on the back of my consoles like RGB only. I do. <laughs> I put I put I don't know, I think I still have it right here. A, a while back somebody gave some Heiko sticky notes 
So obviously paper is non-conductive, so I'll just handwrite this is an RGB mod, like go to and I'll put these on the inside of my consoles, which I forget that I do it. So sometimes I'll unbolt the console and this piece of paper will fall out and I'll be like, What the hell is this? Oh, okay. But that's that, that makes me stuff like that is kind of part of the reason why I'm I, yeah, I'm kind of tempted to get one of those. My job has them for like just the, the name tags. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm tempted to get one and just say like yeah, Ray. RGB you know only and yeah, stuff. So now we talking. <laughs> I'm trying to find label, the Casio one. <laughs> the label maker gang has has shown up. Yeah, there <laughs> yes. I'm lucky my apartment's so small that all of my things are right here within arm shot. So I got my I got yeah. my retro tanks that I pulled out before. I got my labeler. Stand here and do everything that I need. Yeah, this yeah. has turned into the retro RGB label makers podcast. So. <laughs> I guess I, I gotta go then. Bye. No, it's a it's a lifesaver for N64 and Jaguar carts at, at minimum. Yeah. You I'd probably just, things, right? I'd probably I just wish, get uh, I wish Smoke Monster was here because he's got one of those used them in the late eighties, uh, that had the little stamp and like you rotated the dial and like every time you stamped the letter into the tape, it moved the tape and then you you changed the dial and it was like like red or blue or whatever color, uh, black. I used. I remember my dad in the military had a ton of them, and they use those labels. They use those at my job. They just take forever. That's the only problem. I, we had one, but we chucked it out and got one of the modern ones. It just <laughs> takes too long. Yeah, sorry for the cut. The uh, we uh, this is the first time that we're using Discord to do this, and Chris and I discovered before that if somebody's signal blips out, I might have to refresh my screen, and when yeah. I do that, it kills everything. So there's probably going to be multiple cuts in this. But you know what? I think maybe by now next time Skype might be better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I would have hoped that the whole world by now would have been used to what it's like to do these things remotely. I still get comments. On every interview video or live stream where people are like, you're the worst host ever. You're talking over your guest. And it's like, my guest is 10,000 miles away. Like, what are you talking like? <laughs> so, but yeah, you got people from the opposite end of the world here. What do you expect? Yeah, we are quite literally covering the globe with this conversation here. So the fact that it's as good as it is, I'm very appreciative of. And if we have to stop and refresh every few minutes, that's fine. I'm just... uh I'm glad that we're doing this one pre-recorded. That way we could kind of figure out the better way to do it live. Because I do yeah. think the next one should be live. I just, uh, I would love to interact with people. I would love more than anything else to have people that follow all of your work, ask you questions about cool stuff that you've done and your posts and your input on all of this. But we needed a good practice run. And this is exact proof as to why we <laughs> needed a good practice run before doing that. <laughs> Maybe next, time, maybe next time we should try oh. Skype. <laughs> no, this has been solid. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I tried Skype before. I think I like this better, actually. My I only like problem is that, that the, for me, my one problem is that I don't know if this is happening to everyone else, but the bit rate on everyone's video is pretty low. You just got to drink the one and then everyone's blurry, so. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm too young. I've just got cheer wine here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> This is just soda. This is like cherry soda. I just imagine using, you... a, using a retro camera on a 56K connection. You know, it's retro RGB. Just <laughs> it that way. I'm also the one not in charge of the house, so I can't get better internet. Who's going to be the first retro RGB member to stream a, a live Q&A with their Game Boy camera over a Super <laughs> NT or something? You know what? The, with the, or just you know, use them on a webcam 
use a modern webcam with the Game Boy emulator and just use the Game Boy camera software with that. It's really it's funny possible. you say that, Alex, but years ago, I built a rig for my cousin Scott, who wanted to make videos with that. So we built a portable rig with a, a SNES Mini that's RGB modded with the, uh, you know, with the um, Game Boy Player in it. And he hooked up a battery pack to it and everything. And that was his portable video camera. Because he also had a, what was the, the capture card that you could run without a computer? So it just goes The Live Gamer uh, Portable? Yes. The Avery Media Live Gamer Portable? And then Furtech promised me like three years ago that he was going to, because he already built one of those where you just put the Game Boy thing in and you could just walk around with it and records on SD. He promised me he was going to sell me one of those. And, you know, he's obviously been doing absolutely nothing productive since. So, you know, yeah, he clearly gets a pass. <laughs> clearly. Uh, I still Vanessa, want one you, for a tech. Vanessa, you said you had a thing, right? You wanted to follow up on something? Yeah, I. we were talking about composite video, and it made me kind of think, what was everyone's kind of first experience or that first, you know, opposite of composite composite? What was your first like RGB like whoa oh my god this looks incredible and oh. I can't believe I I've never seen video quality this sharp or this good looking before I could, I've excellent. actually probably been the most recent with that a few months ago like uh, sometime like fall last year late 2020 I ordered a a scar cable for my Model 2 Genesis from Insurrection Industries as soon as I got, I plugged it into my OSSC and was like, "Holy cow, this looks amazing!" Like, it was stock, so it still had the jail bars, but I didn't mind the, how that looked. It was still like really sharp. Freaking! Oh, it was mind blowing. Um, I'll go next. Uh, I had, I just got into Turbo Graphics, so I hooked it up via RF, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing." And then I had bought a DB graphics booster and I had my OSSC and I had it on my big screen. And I'm like, how did they get any better? Ah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, and I actually remember, I still have pictures in my phone where I was taking pictures and sending it to like my mom and going, look how pretty this is. Look how pretty this is. She's like, you have a problem. I was doing that on discord <laughs> with my, I was doing that on discord with my Genesis. Like I was taking close up shots of my TV and like my 43 inch TCL 4K TV, just like, guys, this looks freaking great. And it's like, it was on the Red Hot Sonic Disc. And he's like, yes, we know, basically. <laughs> How about everybody else? This is a great question. I'm really interested to hear everybody's answer. Um, and the, uh, for me, it was in the early 2010s. A friend of mine here in Lebanon just found a bunch of arcade boards. Um, a bunch of uh, CPS-1, CPS-2, and uh, just other random boards. And uh, and he was like, hey, uh, you like arcade games. Uh, why don't you uh, just uh, pick and choose and take it home? I said, okay. And I picked a few arcade boards, probably five or six of them. And I went home and I said, okay, now, uh, how am I going to hook this up? So I looked everything up and a super gun came. Um, Came up, so I ordered a super gun from France, and I totally forgot the name of the company. Retro Electric. It. Yeah, probably that's that's the one. And <laughs> uh, so uh, when it arrived, uh, there was this SCART connection. I was like, "What the hell is that? I haven't seen that since 
VCR days. Um, <laughs> and uh, so this, the same guy who, uh, who gave me the arcade board said he found an, a very old shop that still uh, has CRTs, uh, still selling CRTs, and has brand new uh, CRTs with cart input. So I went there and I picked up my first uh, Grunting CRT back in 2012. And uh, the minute I got it home, I, I had a PC Engine interface, an RGB modded PC Engine interface that probably was modded by, uh, what's that? Douche and Dance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Douche and Dance. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, so I hooked that up and I was blown away. Whoa, okay, now I, I really need to um, find what this RGB uh, is all about. And a couple of years later, I stumbled, uh, stumbled upon RetroRGB.com. So, uh, yeah, that was it for me. It started with a super gun. Awesome. An amazing start, though. Yeah. <laughs> like another, actually, going back to my situation... Uh, later on, I found a VGA CRT in the basement, and so like I fig- I decided to get that up, get an adapter, hook that into my OSSC, run my Genesis at 480p with the scan lines on, and that also looked freaking great. Like the fake scan lines made it look really nice. Uh, I think the one that-, that blew me away was was the Genesis because Genesis mostly shipped with RF. You know, after, I don't even know if the later models came with a uh, composite or not. Even the composite wasn't that great. So when the HD retrovision cables came out, and I plugged that thing in, it was like, "Wow, man, we really got uh, screwed over in the U.S." Ray, I know Thanks. you have a bunch of CRTs with component video input, but was your first mm-hmm. RGB that, or was it through a scaler, or it was through a scaler? Okay, it was it was one of those you know cheap converter boxes, card to you know component no. those those type of things. The the infamous card to HDMI. You know all that stuff, but you know, even growing up, you know, I didn't since uh, RGB wasn't really a thing. I always had S video from the minute it came out. So my, my original Super Nintendo had S video, and I played that way. Same thing with my PS One and everything else. And then, of course, when the Dreamcast came out, hooked it up to VGA, and that that blew me away. Of course, Alex, how about you? Well, so at the risk of sounding like a like a pain in the ass, the I I got GameCube component video cables when they were like fifty bucks new from Nintendo Canada, mm-hmm. uh, like way way back in the day. Uh, but that actually isn't where I got the best boost out of GameCube video quality. The greatest boost I ever got was recently this year when I installed the GC loader and I was finally able to start running Swiss for the first time. And you know, just like the Vaseline got taken off the screen and finally GameCube games looked like I thought they should look. Because I used to compare Ikaruga between Dreamcast and GameCube and think like, why is the GameCube so much softer? Why does my TV, you know, it must be the component video versus S- or versus a VGA thing. But no, just like running it through Swiss and being able to take off uh, the vertical filter is just like completely game-changing, you know? Like, um, Extrems and, uh, God, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, Emu Kid, Emu Kid. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the work that they've done with Swiss is just like unreal in terms of how it improves that system. And it's all software based. Like being able to improve video quality that much through just like a soft mod is is just, you know, so unbelievable. 
uh, sort of stuff's really pervasive too, right? Like the, there's a long-running sort of internet, you know, wives' tale, I guess, that uh, Ikaruga on GameCube was inferior because of, there were texture issues or whatever, and it's just yeah. this this softening that goes on. And actually, speaking of just the softening thing, like I'm guessing that was the flicker filter. It reminds me of a how Smash Bros. Brawl on the Wii in the game settings actually lets you turn on or off the flicker filter depending on what you preferred. That's actually the the I I don't know if the Wii version does. I know for sure the GameCube version lets you it, toggle that. Bra- Brawl on the Wii lets you toggle the flicker filter. Yeah. I remember doing that. Um, and just like to <laughs> to just go over again how big of a boon the like Swiss on GameCube is. The thing that it does where it patches a doll and it, forgive me if I'm, you know, saying the technical technical stuff wrong, but you can do that on a Wii, but you actually have to extract the doll files from each game and using like a hex editor patch out like the different VI filters. Um, so just being able to use Swiss to have it happen automatically, it took me like two days to patch all my my Wii disc rips to make sure that they were using a version of the the doll that didn't have that filter in. And now they look better, but holy crow, that's so much work. I'm I can't surprised. wait until something equivalent to Swiss on the on the Wii. I'm surprised Swiss hasn't been ported to being something like on the Wii or just having its features integrated into something like Nintendo. Apparently, and again, I'll, we'll have to talk to Extrems about this. I'm sure he'll have opinions, but there is like some Swiss that supports like the Wii optical drive emulator that got released like ages ago. But because of the way that like Wii software loads and works, it's not quite as simple as just porting Swiss over wholesale. Uh... There's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff because I I think there's like a hypervisor that runs and that makes things complicated. But again, I'm I'm just a layman, so there's a lot I don't know about it. Yeah. Well, we got two more, and I'm really interested in the answers, because I'm half expecting Vanessa to be like, well, my first RGB was with a D24, so all of you could fuck right off. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and Dan probably, you know, yeah, well, I bought it, you know, we, we rebuilt an arcade machine when I was nine, and now, so uh, either one of you, you gotta go, because I'm, I can't wait to hear your, your stories in this. <laughs> After you, Vanessa? Yeah, but what about Bob? <laughs> you were you just waiting this entire time to say that? <laughs> I mean, I that's heard not, that's not the first time I've used that. No, I, 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 I heard. I, I was gonna say I heard he deinterlaces fast at least. No, well, um, joke in the book. I my first R- RGB. I mean, it it depends. Like, if you want to, if you want to say component or not. Um, my, I remember my TV that I had predominantly through the nineties, um, up until 2000, uh, was just RF. So I had to use RF from NES, Genesis, SNES, all the way up because that was the only input that it had, but we lived out, you know, in the suburbs. So I didn't at the time. I never perceived it as a poor video quality. That was just what I used. Yeah. And when I would go over to other people's house, other families, um, you know, their setups, it was predominantly RF. So I didn't really kind of experience anything really other than RF until in 2000. Uh, well, not counting the PC side in 94, um, I got my 46 and that was obviously a difference between PC side of thing and consoles. But 
In 2000, I got this really nice Toshiba 27-inch TV for Christmas. It had two component uh, hookups in the back, an S-video. And not long after, I started working for Funcoland. And uh, one of my friends at the time was from the UK and uh, would always talk about SCART and RGB and this and that and you know, how much better the Amiga looked on the, with SCART and everything. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I start looking into this and like, well, my TV has component. And I started researching signals and everything. And just happening to be where I was working at, we would have monster branded cables traded in, but there was no SKU for it. So it was just $2.99 to purchase it. So, you know, I got monster branded cables for everything. And then I, you know, turn around like, well, what's the next best thing from component cables and well, S-Video. So then I went back and got S-Video for the Saturn and some of the older consoles, uh, the Dreamcast, um, because I was primarily using it on my TV, not on a CRT, but I did have a VGA for it. And... So I was experiencing that and I had, you know, that cool Pelican manual system selector that you could put in all the the labels for each console. And I had everything hooked up via component that I could. I ordered the GameCube component cables the day that it was put up on on the Nintendo site because I had to have it for a Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. And so I had component for everything. I was like, yeah, this looks amazing. And then, gosh, what was it now? Five, five, six years. When did you start, Bob? It was like you and Phone Ten Dork. Years ago. Yeah, it was like I remember um, looking at your content, looking at Phone Dork, and I cannot remember what it was in, but I saw an image of the Frame Meister and comparing. RGB from the Frame Meister compared to like composite or R or RF. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I started watching or listening, because really it was listening uh to you, Bob, back in the day. And then watching Phone Dork and Phone Dork's like, yeah, um, uh, you know, D24, E1WU, and look at this. And it's like, I've got to get that. And then when I got it and you know, started running because I was running a uh, GP21. I mean, SCART GP21, but um, that first moment getting into a link to the pass or Super Metroid, that, that first you boot up Super Metroid and that, you know, Metroid 3, and then it starts scrolling across and you see the blue and the the baby Metroid and the dead bodies on the floor. And it's like, oh my God. It's a, it just, that it was unbelievable and from that point on it's like how did i miss this how did i miss you know the going from crts and i do agree composite on a crt looks fine s video i honest in my opinion going to s video on a crt still looks amazing and if that's all you've got i think that's a fantastic way to go as long as you got a CRT. I know people love their panels, um, but I am very much a proponent of CRTs, and I probably will be until I die. 
And that going from that image quality, going from that timing, especially playing very poor emulators, getting in, you know, the early 2000s, I, I think we all did this. We started playing emulators. I remember being uh, off to college and would have an em my emulators on a thumb drive. I'd put it in, start playing Visual Boy Advanced or whatever. And not knowing any better, it's like, wow, it, it, am I getting older? Do I suck at these games? Like, why? Something's not right here. You know, I'm playing Mega Man X and I'm like, I'm I'm sucking and I'm failing. And I'm like, this 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 is wrong. I remember being really good at this game. I remember being really good at Super mm -hmm. Metroid. And then I started playing on a CRT again. And it's like, my God, I didn't suck. It's just, you know, years and years of playing with no input latency of no visual latency just messed me up. Like I, I could not play on an emulator. And so that just that aha moment that, you know, come into Jesus moment, if you will, <laughs> playing on a CRT, you know, glorious RGB, it, you know, I could, it was fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're talking to the people here that completely understand that story, too. So, <laughs> All right, you're up, Dan. All right, well, I guess like so many, you know, I started on RF, as we all did. Um, Sega SC3000 and Sega Master System were my first two consoles, and then after that was really lucky to have it both a Mega Drive and a Super Nintendo, um, which was sort of um, a bit rare at the time to have two consoles in a, in a household, but... Um, I used to read a lot of uh, UK gaming magazines. They were sort of the, the primary, like we didn't get, it wasn't until later we got the game pros and things from North America. Most of the stuff we got here was um, CVG and Mean Machines. Um, so um, uh, Rich Ledbetter from um, Digital Foundry, he used to write for CVG back in the day. That's where he started out. Um, so that's kind of like where I know Rich and seeing him on Digital Foundry today is kind of cool. But um they would always take these really awesome quality photos of their SCART output RGB games. That's how they took screenshots. So they had the little contraption that sat over the camera. They put it over their nice, you know, decent quality um, TVs that they had. They're usually like German brand TVs. So not not the broadcast monitors that we're kind of used to today, but definitely high quality, like, your, you know, your $1 to $2,000 consumer home crts at the time which were you know what the the video files would have um and they were yeah yeah those sorts of brands right um louvre and, and others like that too um so they would take those sorts of screenshots and put them in the magazines and they were fantastic you'd see those as a kid i remember many years later seeing uh super mario world on super nintendo they had a um like an exclusive on that that they they traveled to japan to take the photos and it was just incredible seeing the quality that they got out of that so that was sort of an eye-opener at home. It was like, well, yeah, mine look like crap. They don't look nearly this good. How come these look so great? And then it was sort of a progression on through the video standards to try and match that. So, you know, you, you went out and you got components that of RF and you played with that for a bit and then you got S-Video and you played with that for a bit. But, yeah, it was, I guess, my a combination of emulation and my arcade hobby that really made me aware of the, the big differences. So, you know, I my first intro to emulation was... Um, Nesticle on DOS, which I believe Modern Vintage Gamer did a video on a while back. Um, 
uh, and you know they also had uh, what was it? There was uh, Genesis and Catalyst, I think. So that was they they came later though, but definitely Nesticle was like okay, you know this is really sharp on my PC monitor. How come it doesn't look like this? You know the other way. And then once I got into the arcade collecting stuff, um, there was a website that popped up called Scout to Jammer, and they documented uh, extracting. RGB out of consoles, boosting the signals to get them to arcade voltages and then sticking them into your, your arcade machine. So I went back and grabbed all my consoles. I got my uh, Mega Drive. I got my PlayStation 1. I got all these consoles and started um, playing them on my arcade machines. And it was mostly the arcade ports that I was interested in. But yeah, definitely it was like night and day difference between you know what I'm looking at on my consumer TV versus what I'm looking at on my, my arcade, my RGB arcade monitor. Um, and even then through ignorance, I was like, well, maybe this is a special monitor. There's something, no, it's the same tube, you know, the, uh, years later, arcade tube swaps and things like that came out. So it was all pretty evident that it was just the signal. Um, so yeah, it was sort of a, a slow burn progression. There wasn't like a night and day point where I was like, wow, this is different, but it was just like these incremental changes as time went on and I got access to different hardware and could play around with it. That's awesome. I remember mine, uh, it's actually fitting that I'm going last because it's short and on the nose, but I remember being, for all of the my fellow Bridgeport people, there's actually a lot of us out there, RGT85, Rourke, we all kind of, we didn't know each other, but we all grew up in the same weird ghetto. <laughs> uh, Trumbull Mall in the 90s, I showed up in an electronics boutique, I just was talking to the guy behind the counter, I was like, wow, Sonic looks great. And he's like, yeah, you're going to play it on an RGB monitor. And I'm like, I have one of those because Candy 1000, you know, it wasn't a VGA monitor. It wasn't technically an RGB monitor, 15 kilohertz signal. And, he, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you should definitely get it hooked up to that. So, you know, and in hindsight, of course, I would have never been able to download a pinout and be able to extract it. But I went around the corner to radio shack and was like hey i want to hook up my console to an rgb monitor how do i have to do that and this like thousand year old man walks up and he's like well <laughs> if you read these three books you could build your own signal and i'm just like man that's not that's not how you capture a kid's <laughs> attention at all i was like 12 or something it's just like like what do i need to do do i need to build something do i need to and the guy had actually had no clue what he was talking about at all <laughs> he just wanted to sell me some books so I kind of put it in the back of my mind and then fast forward a million years later playing stuff on the Wii Virtual Console. Like, it's good, but not the same without at least the controller. And then I'm playing it on my flat panel going, it's good, but what else is wrong? And I didn't realize it was lag and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's when I took an old CRT, hooked up a bunch of old consoles, thought, this is great, but... What's that RGB thing that that guy at Electronics Boutique told me 25 years ago or whatever it was? And, you know, there you go. Then Retro RGB was born from that. So kind of <laughs> kind of a funny and weird but true story. So there you one go. Thing I'm gonna, one thing I'm going to say is on the note of the virtual console, rest in peace. That was actually my introduction to all the to retro games as a whole. Like my first Mario yeah. game was the virtual console release of the original Super Mario Bros. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valuable tool to preserve old games. So I think, uh, does anybody else have anything they want to talk about, anything they want to add? Because I think this was a really awesome first, like, uh, bigger scale. We, you know, as the website and the, everything else grows, there's more of us working on it. But it was everything I hoped it would be. Anybody else have anything to add or, you know, anything they want to chime in on? 
Well, I think what might be interesting to talk about as we sign off is, is there anything that you're really excited about in the retro gaming community coming up? Uh, or, you know, is there anything that you're sort of being hopeful for? Uh, you know, I'm like not allowed to answer that question. Uh, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're under NDA and you've got a couple of agreements, Bob. But, uh, you know, personally, like one of the things I'm excited about is, uh, ooh, yeah. Ooh, nice. I was going to at first, I was going to say that as that bottom case needed retro writing, but then you turned it around. Um, but yeah, like I'm really excited about the the Pixel X or FX um, N64 mod. Uh, I'm an Ultra HDMI owner, and uh, I'm really excited about this new one because like being able to scale at arbitrary values and being able to have HQ2X smoothing and some of the other cool features that it feels like Dan and Woozle and Christoph are implementing are just like right up my alley i can't wait to see n64 games on a big screen like this uh even in all their soft blurriness you know i feel like there's going to be uh it'll just be really cool honestly one thing that i would like i'm okay one thing i'm hopeful for is just better sound emulation because i saw that there was someone working on a mr or at least some kind of fpga core for the saturn and i hope that work gets transplanted back into software emulation just so we could have actual viable good Saturn emulation. Another thing that I would just want to see, like spitballing an idea here, is more of, of a ret- more retro emulators that allow you to just see some of these old school games in VR. Because that's my current obsession, VR. <laughs> and yeah. Dan, I think we're going alphabetical this time, so there you go. <laughs> Alright, my turn, I guess. Um mm-hmm. A couple of things I'm really excited for, uh, you know, like I, I really I love all the the console modding and stuff that's going on. I think that's really great for um, keeping old hardware alive. But I'm definitely my hobby is more and more towards the the longer term preservation. Like, wh- you know, where does this stuff sit in fifty years, a hundred years? You know, can people of that era accurately? play and enjoy and experience the things that we're all taking for granted today um so you know that that preservation side of things is what i'm trying to work on um there's a, a group here in australia called play it again um they're run out of uh i think melbourne uni um three really fantastic women who run that project um more from a like a humanities arts side of things they're looking at trying to build um, similar to what archive.org do with emulators in a browser, trying to make that sort of interactive museum type experience. But also, you know, COVID has really made them aware that they need to put it online and they need to make that accessibility higher. It can't be something that you've got to travel halfway across the country to get to. Um, so I'm, I'm just as a volunteer effort trying to help those guys. I'm, I'm wherever I can pick up games because they're really big on ripping the games for themselves to do the full verification process. So running around trying to find physical copies of things and shipping it down to them, but also helping them with emulator and the browser stuff, which I do on my site with the SC3000 stuff as well. Um, so that's that's all stuff I'm really excited for. And then personally, like Mister is just blowing my mind. I've, I've been on that bandwagon for uh, I don't know for a while now. Um, and I love it. I'm really excited for the Saturn and PlayStation stuff that's coming out. I think that's going to be huge. Um, yeah, I, I really hope that that stuff takes off because, again, I think I think preserving that stuff now and having options now is even more critical because we've got both. We can objectively compare a real bit of hardware to an emulated bit of stuff, and we have the tools now like MD Fourier and those sorts of things where we can we can do those comparisons and then one day when all the consoles are dead we know that we did a good enough job now 
so that that stuff's preserved longer. Um, and then similarly, I guess we were talking about, you know, composite and how that's its own aesthetic and that's a real thing. Same sort of question, right? Like what do people who don't have CRTs in a hundred or 200 years do to verify that they're looking at something that the same thing that we saw when they look at, you know, the sonic waterfall or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. There's a couple of folks working on some really interesting shaders uh, and they're targeting hypothetical, you know, 8K, 240 frame per second screen kind of setups where they're actually talking about emulating scan lines, like the actual beam that's running across that they can do that in a, in a shader um, to actually emulate how a CRT works on a flat panel. So that's kind of mind-blowing that someone's thinking about that now. So they're, they're things I'm really excited about. That sounds friggin' amazing, actually. Mm. I'd love to see that. Ronnie, you're up. Yep. Um, it's uh, it's not something that's coming uh, out soon. It's um, uh, you know, ever since Smoke Monster did that uh, Mister series back in December 2019, I guess I've been dying to get a Mister to get a to get a kit and assemble it and everything. But um, some terrible things happen my country that's preventing me to import anything actually so uh yeah hopefully one day everything clears out and i can get a mister setup uh i've been, um, I've, I've been watching the, the the development of some cores and and um, some of the new add-ons it's it's so awesome it'll be worth the wait i'll tell you that much hmm. i think awesome ray what do you think uh, for me, it's the Retro Tank 5X right now. I'm really excited about that. Mike's been teasing it, and it looks like... I don't know what be- that is. That's not a product you could buy now. So uh, I don't think we're allowed to talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Go right ahead. Go right ahead with your thoughts. Mike's are, the creator of it has already posted on Twitter, so it's obviously not a secret. I'm just being an asshole. I'm sorry, Ray. <laughs> no. no, it's fine. I mean, he's, I, think, I think he's super excited about it, which is awesome. You know, I, I don't see creators have showed genuine enthusiasm for their own products. And he's definitely been doing that. So he showed me some stuff in the past, but seeing him post stuff about the 5X looks it, super excited about it. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the Mister, seen watching like the CPS2 uh, core get developed, awesome. You know, I loved a lot of the CPS2 games growing up, and that's something that I'm super excited about. I can't wait to see that get gets finished it'll never be nothing will ever be finished but but get to a better place uh, actually playing x-men yesterday with akuma so that's, that makes me happy and the last thing is actually um i really like the fact that retroarch has that disc project and i hope to see more improvement on that now we'd like to see that scaled down to say maybe like the raspberry pies of the world where people can you know just put something real cheap and be able to play the disc based games with all the you know safe states and all the emulated features, awesome. pretty much all the basic stuff I'm excited for. Danielle, you're up. So uh, Retro Tink Five X, um, I have and love my OSSC, but I, I need another one. I, I I mean I I have so many TVs and so many different like uh, flat panels and stuff like that that I kind of do need a, a a scaler at each one um but something that's hasn't really been talked uh talked about was like the re-releases of games on consoles or 
uh, computers on physical media for stuff that's really old. So uh, the new one, I just got the Iron Soldier 3 re-release for my new ones that are right there. <laughs> um, also, for the X68K, they just re-released the Yeez 1 and 2. Um, back on five and a quarter inch floppies and stuff like that. That stuff to me is just so cool. That just is cool. The re-release mm-hmm. of stuff. And then also, um, I'm still in like the Domesday uh, Discord and just watching everybody talk about what they're actually going to pre- be preserving. Because to me, um, I have a MSX LaserDisc player. I have the laser active and I love to see all those things come up and, you know, actually get preserved properly and playable on stuff like the Mr. Emulators. All awesome points. Mm. Vanessa. Yeah. Just to kind of add to that, uh, you know, I just, I eagerly await any news of the X 68,000 core for the Mr. And how that's been coming along. I know, like Danielle, I've got my uh, X68K Pro uh, sitting over on display, but I haven't used it yet. It just, it's there with my uh, Turbo R, um, just kind of, you know, there looking pretty. <laughs> but I just, I just, for that, I'm I really interested in using the Mister for a lot of those classic computers, especially just, they have a lot of things that you have to do to... Kind of they're finicky, and the Mister just kind of really makes that super easy. Um, and so the, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, my Cheese Five X, uh, but I'm also looking forward to the OSSE Pro because, you know, when that finally comes along, there's going to be possible because it's the same hardware, uh, Mister impl- implications with that too. So the the idea of possibly having another mister in addition to the mister that i have and then you know the 5x um for that is really super exciting so there's a lot of cool things coming along i I was showing my original snes and how it's been busted after 14 15 moves uh over the years and we got that clear case coming out so i'm happy that We've got all these kind of projects coming along with case replacements and different types of controllers and everything for original hardware um, or, you know, just replacement of, you know, cool things. There's still decent products out there. Sometimes there's some pretty crappy controllers. (laughs) Sometimes you can kind of, you know, maybe finagle them, maybe um, uh, adjust them a bit. I know um spawn wave was showing off the new um wireless game boy player controller and one of the things he did was he took the the d-pad and the um sponges and everything out of a broken snes controller and put it in and found much more success with that so you know there's a lot of excitement uh with various things for various products that we have coming along and I feel like every year there's just been someone has come up with more ideas. Like it's just kind of snowballed into, you know, we used to just have the Frame Meister. Now we have the OSSC. Now we have, you know, all of Mike Cheese products. And looking at different areas, it it's the same. It's like now we have more controllers. You know, we had one 
type of aftermarket case. Now we have all these other aftermarket cases. And it just seems like the momentum of the retro vintage gaming community is picking up and other people are adding to it. And it's really exciting to be a part of that. I couldn't agree more. And, I, you know, I got to say, all, all kidding aside, I'm so grateful to be even the smallest little part of so many amazing projects that I'm genuinely excited about from, you know, a, a, something you could plug into a monitor that fixes sync that seven people in the world are going to be excited about and nobody else will give a shit about versus amazing global pro projects like Mr. And, you know, new scalers coming out. There's just so many amazing things that I'm grateful to be a part of. And I am always genuinely grateful to be hanging out with all of you amazing people. And I, I'm not saying that because I'm on the podcast with you. I'm not a very nice person. I would, I would, I would, if I had a bad thing to say, I would have already said it. But in all honesty, I mean, Dan and I first met because he criticized one of my shitty opinions in the comments, but he wasn't a douche about it. He was a respectful human. And next thing you know, we're buddies and he's teaching me shit all the time. You know, I get uh, Danielle's been helping out for years now behind the scenes. I remember getting a random email from Ronnie who seemed pretty cool until he sent me a picture of him on stage at like a big festival playing a metal show. And now suddenly he's really cool. <laughs> and I was paying <laughs> a lot more attention <laughs> to his emails. I mean, you know, Ray Commend shows up at my office one time in Brooklyn when I had one of those. I hung out with Vanessa. Like all of you people are amazing. Alex and Chris, I've just gotten to know you recently, but you're pretty freaking cool too, which is why you're here. So I Thank think you. this is a not only my thanks to all of you, but th you know this little rant I'm going on here is also just a reflection on how many amazing people are in this community that just want to spread the love of all this stuff. And it's so easy to get sucked into the trolls because the loudest voice, usually the the one heard most, but uh, people like all of you are the ones that keep this going and are really the majority. People that just... Know, I love this stuff. I want to share this stuff with other people. So I think, you know, this was an awesome podcast. I had such an amazing time doing it. Next time we got to do it live, we definitely needed to go through this learning process because, I mean, we are in so many different time zones. We're across three different countries in Canada. I mean, it's a complete. Sorry, sorry, kidding, 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 kidding. I mean, hey, Canada is just. Canada's just Canada's just an apartment that's, that's on top uh, of a great big yeah. party. <laughs> that's for all my friends up there. Every one of them is laughing at that one. Everybody else is uh -huh. like, "Oh my god, was that just racist?" No, all my Canadian <laughs> friends are laughing at that one. So, yeah, I honestly though, all kidding aside, you you're all very awesome people. I'm so grateful to be working with all of you. So, uh, we're definitely going to do these more often. Uh and we have to just figure out the correct time to do it cuz I believe Dan had to get up at 5 30 it's probably pushing midnight for ronnie so we gotta just rotate these around so we're all uh you know we're all doing this more often but i think One. um i think while i like doing the general chats like this maybe next time a good debate comes up something positive and happy like you know what what's considered retro stuff like that you know we should just jump on these and just do it just pull the trigger on it and just get that out there because I, I love hearing everybody's opinions on it. thank you all very much for being a part of this can I say one thing, actually, that I found really cool? I was on a stream yesterday at the time of uh, recording this with Alexander Mejia, where he was mm -hmm. playing uh, Metroid 2 and a the AM2R remake, and he mentioned how my post about the widescreen Super Mario World hack 
actually appeared on his Google News feed. That's which awesome. to me was insane to hear and freaking cool. I, and I wish he screenshotted that and showed me. That's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, that... we hung out with Alex, Vanessa, and I out in Portland. Hopefully, when the world opens up again, we could do all of that stuff. Well, yeah, hopefully, I can meet him in person as well because we hit it off. We were both freaking cool. I yell at him, he yells at me. I call him a Dolby shell. You know. Dan, I've been, I've been threatening to invade your island for a long time now, so it's definitely going to happen. All of this stuff. You're very time. welcome. I've got the whole thing planned out. It'll be awesome. There's a lot of beer. A lot Great. of beer. Well, uh, all of you, hang on a moment, but uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll say goodbye for now, and we'll definitely do another one much sooner than the last one.